Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Jan Kamras, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Welcome to Sorry Partner, a podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Swedish champion and as of January 1, 2023, the president of the World Bridge Federation, Jan Kamras, about his career trajectory from bridge booster to the person in charge of the whole shebang his hopes and plans for the World Bridge Federation, and the importance of communication. Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Jocelyn, I'm great. It's fabulous to see you. It's great to be back from our adventure at the Nationals. We played at the NABC together, which was incredibly fun. And we saw so many people from all over the world, including our wonderful guest that we have today, Real Treat. And uh, I mean, I just loved playing with you for 10 days. It was awesome. (laughs) I know it was so nice because usually we're playing online and we see each other when we're doing the recordings, but to be in the same time, same place, it was fabulous. Yes, it was really great. And I, I really was glad that you were also game for playing up as much as possible, including in an event with screens, which was a first for for both of us. Yes. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. It's so civilized. It's so quiet. There's no director calls. It's just you're having a nice conversation with your opponent. What I didn't know was when you're playing behind the screen, it's during the auction that 
you don't have any interaction with anybody other than the opponent that's behind the screen with you. And you and that opponent are supposed to explain all of your bids, either writing them out or pantomiming. I had one opponent who uh, wanted to explain that his partner was showing a very bad hand. So he made like a stinky face with his nose all kind of wrinkled up (laughs) and at the same time gesturing thumbs down. (laughs) And I just thought it was hilarious. You would never see that. He would be alerted as weak, you know, or something like that. Or, But, you know, you explain everything. And it was kind of fascinating. Yeah, no, I mean, I was really nervous at first. But once I relaxed, I very much enjoyed it. It was so comfortable. I loved this business of just telling each other what the bids meant. There was none of this outrage and director calls. And it was, yeah, very civilized, as you say. Yeah, I guess it it was brought about to control for cheating. Mm. But putting that aside, I just loved it. (laughs) And what was really interesting was the experience. It enabled such a high level of focus, I felt, that was unusual, for me at least. I was able to focus more. And that, in turn, led me to see the hands in a different way than I think I normally do. And so the next day, when we were playing regular, It was like there was residue from that focus that enabled me still to understand a bit better about what's going on here and who's got what, you know, much more than I ever do normally. I don't know how long that lasted, but it did feel like there was some residual effect from that screens game. So, Catherine, you're on anytime you want to play a screens event with me. I'm there with you. Oh, wonderful, because I'm there with you. And let me just tell everybody, we did not come last. We did not come last. We were expecting, fully expecting to come last. Right, but given the competition, I take that as an absolute win. And so when we were playing the next day, I just felt very free. And maybe it was the lack of anxiety that enabled me to feel like I was seeing more. There was a looseness in the way that I was playing that I thought was the residue, as you put it, of having played at this intense high-level tournament. And we did pretty well in that game too. Yeah. So well done, partner. Well done. So that's our part of our training regimen is that we need <laughs> to play with screens to re-enter that zone again and hold on to that. So cool. So cool. Well, Jocelyn, speaking of major tournaments and lovely people that we met at the Nationals. One of them was Peter Toygash. And Peter yes. is the CEO and partner of the Lovebridge team who supplies tablets to the USBC and other major tournaments. And Peter has written to us about our conversation with American champion Steve Weinstein. One of the things that Steve talked about was that his favorite tournament was the United States Bridge Championships that plays face-to-face but uses tablets And Steve said that he prefers playing with cards in his hands. And Peter wanted to take the opportunity to write to us and just let us know about some of the benefits and advantages of playing with tablets. He says it's not easy to prioritize, but here are a few thoughts. Based on the feedback we received from the players at the USBC, this was the safest environment they had ever played in because players can be in different rooms, north and east, as one half of the table are in one room, and South and West are together in another room. 
So it's like playing with screens installed on the table, but the other half of the table can be in a completely different location. He also says for broadcasting, you can follow every bid and every trick from every table. And as the broadcast is fully automated, there are no broadcasting mistakes. Having digitally recorded data means that tournament directors get to make decisions on facts, not on reports from players. And then he says, for example, how long was the break in tempo? South says it was 10 seconds. West says it was two minutes. So, you know, all that's taken care of. After the game, the players can check what happened at the other tables as the hands are then available on a public website. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, Yeah. and Peter also says this is a wonderful resource for developing players to be able to see how world-class players approach the hands. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And then finally, as Steve mentioned, there are no technical errors in the scoring, in the movements when it comes to pairs. There are no bids, leads, nor play out of turn and no revokes. So sure, some players consider these kinds of errors as part of the game, but after using the Lovebridge tablets, most of them don't seem to miss those errors. And he says, thanks for the opportunity to share some of the benefits of playing with tablets. And thanks for the podcast, Peter. Oh, yeah. So thanks, thanks Peter, Peter for, for sharing those thoughts. And it's, and it's good to have a sense of all sides of the argument. Yeah, that reminds me of when I was helping my friend set up for a home bridge game. And at one point, as we were lugging in the bidding boxes and the card trays and the tables and the chairs, I said, did you ever think about we could just group and play on our laptops or on our iPads or phones? And she looked at me in disgust and horror at the very idea (laughs) that we would have a home fun bridge game without cards. It just wasn't conceivable. But I'm sitting here lugging all of the chairs and the cards and the bidding boxes and thinking I'm going to have to also schlep them back to the club after the game. You know, to me, that's another advantage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's always times and places, isn't there? I'm sure you get used to the tablets too, but I also like having the cards, you know, but it can be convenient definitely to have the tablets. It's the holiday season. Indeed it is, Jocelyn. The festive season. And nothing makes me feel more festive than giving gifts. Oh, do you mean like that gift I gave our ops recently when I went up with my ace and crashed your king? Maybe not quite like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you feel like giving your bridge partner or friends a gift that they'll actually appreciate... Take a look at some of the fun items in our Sorry Partner merch store. We've got mugs, magnets, coasters, totes, t-shirts, notebooks, and many other items. Or consider giving the gift of a Sorry Partner membership. Benefits include bonus audio and other perks like stickers and milestone shout-outs. You'll also be supporting the show, which is a gift to us. So it's like two gifts for the price of one. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So how do people support the show? They just go to our website at sorrypartner.com, click support the show, and take it from there. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. Happy holidays.
We have some mail also in the mailbag from some of our listeners today. Jocelyn, would you like me to read you some letters? Of course I would. Okay. So our first letter today is from Fritz in the Chicago area, and it's on the theme of dead man speaking or not speaking. I'll spare everybody my poor French accent. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just say the dead man speaks, exclamation point. Le mort parle. (laughs) That's it. That's it. So get out your pens and paper because this auction is interesting. Not very long, but interesting. Now, normally we don't expect any listeners to write things down. So, all right, I'll, I'll write it down. Open a bids one heart. One spade overcall. Responder passes. Advance a passes. Open a passes. Overcaller doubles. Responder passes. Advance a bids two club. And the opener bids two hearts. And then it goes pass, pass, pass. I was a partner of the one heart opener. As the one spade overcaller considered their lead to my partner's two heart contract, I was thinking that the bidding was a bit weird. Can we review the auction, I said. (laughs) No, came the reply from the table. But I was very confused. My partner bid one heart. My right-hand opponent overcalled a spade. And then there were three passes. Yes? Yes. Surely I should be on lead against one spade. But no, I was told the dummy cannot talk. As it happened, my partner was also the director at the game and would not take my director call for some reason. (laughs) So I asked if I could speak with another director as there were several qualified directors who happened to be playing at other tables. At this point, the partner had had enough and said, dummy has no talking rights and must remain quiet. Stop squirming and put down your hand. He said, clearly wondering why he'd agreed to play with me in the first place. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. After initially refusing to face my hand and not being allowed to say anything, I was eventually cajoled into putting down my hand as dummy, despite me actually being on opening lead against one spade. <laughs> against one spade. Pass, pass, pass. Yes. <laughs> I tried very hard to keep a straight face. And afterwards, once I told my partner what was going on, he got very red in the face and said he would oh. look at it later. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so funny. It is so funny. That is so funny. It took me a little while yeah. to figure out, wait, wait, he's doubling after, he's doubling himself after <laughs> there have been three passes, which should end the auction, and then his makes his partner bid. And now my partner bid, but he, my partner was fun to play one spade. Partner does not want to play two clubs. Hmm. Well, I'd want to know what happened. What was the disposition? What was the ruling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is that resolved? Fritz, send us another letter and let us know how it was resolved. Yes, please. Inquiring minds want to know. Definitely. Our next letter today is from Rini in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hi, Catherine and Jocelyn. First of all, I want to tell you how much I enjoy your podcast. Rini, thank you. Yeah. I often make the trip down to visit my mum in South Carolina from North Carolina on the I-85 the whole way, and it is so boring. (laughs) Listening to your podcast not only makes the time go by quickly, but gives me so many pointers and juicy bits of knowledge. Excellent. Yes. Fabulous. As I started reaching my 60s, I realized that I needed to do something to exercise my brain. I thought my dad is still so sharp mentally, and he plays. So I proceeded to Google Bridge in the Charlotte area. After my second lesson, the director came into the room to tell us about the duplicate game in the next room and to encourage some of us to come and play, even though we were just beginners. 
Being the brave girl that I am, I showed up for the next game without a partner. The director had failed to mention that we needed one. I've been there. (laughs) Yeah. But he was very nice and told me to wait a little to see if someone's partner failed to show up. Not two minutes later, he called me up to the desk and introduced me to this very kind gentleman whose partner had to cancel at the last minute. Up until now, my bridge lessons had consisted of the very basics. I had just learned how to open one no trump. I'm sure you can imagine how big my partner's eyes were when I passed his transfer to hearts and he had to play two diamonds with four diamonds between us. That was among the many excruciating mistakes that I made that day. He was very gracious, but we never played together again. People ask how I could step foot in the club ever again, and I tell them that I never turned down the challenge. I now have a regular partner who was in that class and many other wonderful partners that are also very close dear friends. I am addicted to bridge and can't get enough. I wish I had started at a younger age, but I'm so glad I learned this amazing game. Sincerely, Rini. Rini, I feel like everything in your letter speaks directly to my own experience with the game, just being clueless, showing up at a club to play without a partner and making ridiculous mistakes that, you know, you're embarrassed by forever, but you still want to rise to the challenge and then just being completely, completely addicted and in love with this game. So great. Thanks, Rini. Really appreciate you writing in. And our final letter today, Jocelyn, is from Carl, who's written to us before, and Carl has a schlamozzle for us. Thanks, Carl. He says that he really loves the podcast. He likes the diversity that we talk with players from all around the world, which is great because we think that's important and we enjoy it too. So Carl's letter is about the last board of the day when he was dealt a great hand. He had 24 points, a 3-2-4-4 shape, with the ace, king, queen, jack of diamonds, but only the jack little of hearts. I opened two clubs and partner bid two diamonds. What can I bid but two no trump, hoping partner will transfer me to spades. Partner bid three diamonds, and the clamouring from my diamond holding drowned out the fact that it was a transfer. So I bid four diamonds, which for us is minor wood. Partner is wondering what is going on, so bids four hearts, hoping I'll wake up. But to me, still swooning over the diamonds, it reads as the one missing key card. So I bid six diamonds. Partner is now panicking and takes a while before passing. Fortunately for me, she had four diamonds in the ace of hearts and played it beautifully to salvage a 70% score for us. Although I will be in the doghouse for a while. Cheers, Carl. (laughs) I would say that's a stumble top hyphen schlamazzle. Because the 70%, a schlamazel doesn't usually get a 70%. That's a stumble top. That's a stumble top for sure, Carl. You need to recategorize there, yes. but nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get the lingo down. <laughs> so if you have any fun stories about playing in a high-level tournament or maybe your experience with tablets, first time in a club perhaps, or a wackadoodle auction where the dummy is not allowed to speak even though the dummy has something really important to say. <laughs> or perhaps a combo stumble top slash schlamazel. Please do send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram. Or you can send us a voice message 
These links are in the show notes and on the website at sorrypartner.com, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Jan Kamras. Jan Kamras has been a member of the World Bridge Federation Executive Council since 2018, the same year he was elected president of the European Bridge League, and as of 2023, the WBF president. Prior, he was the vice president of the Swedish Bridge Federation and served, among other positions, as head of its national team selection committee. He was the captain of the Swedish National Open team from 2001 to 2010. As a player, he won the Swedish team championships in 2010 and was a runner-up in 2011 and 2012. He won the prestigious Cavendish teams in 2013. We began by asking about his earliest memory of bridge. You know, my father was uh, a very strong player, a Swedish national team player. And I was basically following him around as a groupie, even when he played robber with his usual crowd every week in a dark, smoky uh, back room of a stamp collector's shop where they were sitting playing every Wednesday. And I was so happy as a kid, you know, I could come and, and just be, I had no idea what they were doing, obviously, but it was just fun to be with dad, you know. That's my earliest memory. And then I started, of course, he started uh, teaching me when I was a teenager. But uh, unfortunately, lights took over and I didn't have time to play too much. In what way did life take over? Well, you know, studies, uh, job, etc. So, I mean, I always, I always played a bit and mainly, mainly internationally with my dad in the beginning, but very infrequently. And I very soon realized that uh, I'm probably not a natural card player. So I realized I would never become really great. In later years, I uh, decided to get more into the administration of the game rather than trying to play at the highest level. So how did you get back into the bridge world in a more full-time way and then find your way into the administration? Basically, I uh, was following the Swedish national team around a lot, I think from 1988 World Championships in Venice, I believe. I was always, you know, a groupie again to the Swedish national teams. I was always hanging around them and uh, they kind of took me in. I could be, you know, I was part of all their meetings and had dinners with them and stuff like that. So is this still because you were with your father or you? what connected you in that way? Basically, I mean, I was, since my father played in the national team in those days, so I, you know, relatively early got into contact a little bit with uh, other Swedish top players. So I was lucky in that sense. Uh, you know, I could also later on in the uh, early 2000s, when I played, I've been traveling around quite a lot. I've been living in, in Japan, Switzerland, States, all over the place. So, but when I came back to Sweden in 2005, I took up the game a little bit more serious again. And then I was actually the non-playing captain on the, of the Swedish national team. And then I also got to play uh, on occasion with them in other events. So uh, that was nice. And then from that, I got into the Swedish Bridge Federation administration and then continued European Federation and then now finally the World Bridge Federation. 
When you were traveling just as a groupie before you were the non-playing captain or officially part of the administration, would you just kibitz at the game or would you actually get to play in some events as well? No, I would I would kibitz basically. And you found that satisfying? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I just, it was fun uh, hanging around these guys and uh, listening to them. I, I picked up a lot, I hope during all their discussions afterwards, discussing the hands. And uh, it was just a nice community, a nice atmosphere. It's great. It was great. Still is. Do you have a favorite tournament that you like to play or to visit or to be a part of or, you know, just to experience? Absolutely. And uh, since I love skiing, I love the mountains. I love the tournament in uh, Saint-Moritz in Switzerland. Normally the second week of January, uh, and you know it, it's a fantastic uh, schedule because you you ski in the morning around lunchtime, then you get down to the village, you play bridge with very good competition, a lot of uh, world and European champions there. You play bridge from let's say three to seven thirty, and then you go out have nice meals in the evening, and you know meet a lot of your friends. So it's a fantastic combination, actually. It's really my favorite week, which I'll never miss. Sounds so lovely. So a lot of fondue and, and raclette? Yeah, raclette. I prefer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yum. So at the end of the San Moritz tournament, what's it like when you come back home? How do you kind of recover from a tournament such as that one? There's nothing in particular that I do, you know, just get back to my usual responding to 40 emails per day or, uh, so it's not, it's not a particularly tiring event in, in that sense. It's not that I need to recover my strength or anything. It's on the contrary. It gives me strength being up in the fresh air in the mountains. What is the most memorable place or maybe unusual or unexpected place that you've played bridge? Well, playing. I can't think really of a particularly unusual one, but I had some bidding practice with uh, my Hungarian-German friend, Joseph Harsanyi, once in a bath house in Budapest, Hungary, in, you know, one of these big thermal baths in a fantastic marble environment, huge hot bath. We each were sitting at one end of this pool with uh, in the water, each with a bridge world in our hands. Beating the challenge <laughs> in the middle of, you know, all these other people who were also in this tub having no clue what the heck we were doing. And uh, that was, of course, I dropped my bridge world in the water. Uh, oh, no. Uh, yeah, of it course. It got very soggy. Very, very <laughs> What might he say is your strength when it comes to your partnership? Well, we are not regular partners, so I don't know what, if he would find any strength in uh, the few times we played, but... In general, I would say, as I mentioned before, I'm not a natural card player. So I have to work very hard on every single card. Uh, my strength is, they would probably say, is hand evaluation and, and bidding in general. And hopefully that I'm a good partner. I never, never complain about anything, never say a word, basically. I don't like any discussion of boards, uh, you know, in the middle of a, of a set. So, uh, yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What is an area of your game that you're working on or that you like to focus on or try to develop? It's definitely my uh, level of concentration at the table. I can very easily lose focus and suddenly I, you know, I sit, I start thinking and then after a while I think, what am I thinking about? I'm just losing focus. So I have to be better at, at concentrating. Are there any mental tools that you use to keep yourself on track with the focus, concentration? I wanted to ask you, do you have any tips? Because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> If I did, then maybe I would be better at it. But um, I just think it's maybe reminding myself all the time, okay, stop now, reboot, restart button, and uh, yeah. You've recently taken over the top job at the World Bridge Federation. What are some of your goals and ambitions for that position? Oh, it's an enormous, uh, it's a very, very long laundry list. One of the things I think which is very important is to increase the transparency in the organization, both internal and external. It's very common to read a lot of criticism about international organizations on bridge winners, etc. Part of the criticism is valid. Some isn't. And the one which isn't is basically because we probably haven't communicated well enough what we're actually doing or, or not doing. So that side I want to improve on. We have to work on the finances. We are, I think, spending or have been in the past spending too much money on things which are not completely essential. We have to uh, work harder on uh, getting the federations. I mean, we have to encourage the federations with stronger means to focus on youth promotion. It's easy to say, but uh, not so easy to do. So there are, there are a lot of things. I mean, I could, I could go on for half an hour with only things that we need to do in the Federation, but it's, it's a lot of, a lot of transparency and even internal transparency matter and getting everybody more involved. You know, we are 22 people on the board, which is a lot, but it's a lot of uh, very capable people who could 
maybe be used more and better than they have in the past. The World Bridge Federation represents the national bridge organizations who represent the players. But I know that you're keen for the players to feel that the World Bridge Federation is more relevant to them. In what ways can you see that that might be made to happen? I think it's connected with the communication side. I mean, I think, luckily, I have been part of the playing community. I've been close to the players over the past decades rather than to the administrators. So I, I believe that a lot of the players play internationally, uh, know me reasonably well. You know, I've, I've had a lot of encouragement already. So I think that with the communication and making it clear that what we are doing, we are doing for the players, even if it's, as you correctly state, it's a national bridge organizations that are our members. But still, the players are ultimately the stakeholders. And uh, in the championships we arrange, we really are trying to do everything for them to be as comfortable as possible and have the best possible playing environment. When I started playing, and really this has been true until fairly recently, I didn't have any understanding at all of the various structures surrounding the bridge community. I certainly didn't know there was a World Bridge Federation. But I can see that there's a place for just a regular club player to maybe not so much have a role, but to understand the structure and then be more invested in what's going on in terms of the entire bridge community and administration. When you think of the players, are you just thinking of top-level competitive players or do you have a vision that includes players right down to the community club level? I see the WBF as being an enabler in general. I don't think that we can get in to that level and actually act directly towards the club player or even the good top players within the federations. So I believe that it's up to the national federations to kind of communicate and represent the interest of those players. And then to the extent that the Sonal or World Federation needs to be involved or they need our support for something, they come to us. Directly, I feel it's difficult for us to get too involved down to that uh, level. And it's also, there are so many different countries and cultures that, you know, if we, if we would start a program, uh, which we think is very clever, which can be useful at the, at the club level, it might work in one country, but be totally irrelevant in another because of the structure of their bridge community. So, you know, it might be to some extent a waste of time. And I think it's better that it comes from the other side and uh, we see how we can also share best practices between federations, organize seminars, which we try to do. We do tournament directors, workshops and seminars to get the mainly the top level directors even better. So I think every, every stage in the pyramid of organizations will have to do their part and not try to do everything for, for everybody. Your philosophy is one of flexibility and pragmatism rather than dogmatism. Wow, where have you picked that up? <laughs> Do you see that by empowering the various NBOs, it creates the opportunity for organizations to be able to bring their best selves to their bridge communities rather than you trying to overlay one, one size fits all? I think so. 
I think we can provide resources, both financial and in terms of research documentation. For example, we have uh, Samantha Punch, which has done a lot of work on, on scientific university research on the sociology of bridge. Uh, a lot of papers have been written. And, you know, all this material that, that is created is available to everybody on our website. I think probably we have to be better at communicating what is available there because there is a lot of material uh, that can be useful for some, but maybe not all. You've talked about communication a couple of times now. Can you break that down for us? How do you see that communication being improved? I actually had... When I started as the European Federation president a number of years ago, I achieved a lot of the things that I had set out to do. But one thing that I had set out to do was actually to have not a podcast, but to have something regular, you know, the more or less a blog from the president on the website where I would at least once a month just, uh, you know, come out with some wisdoms or, or whatever you want to call it or news about what we were doing, you know, in general. So more communication from my side personally is one thing. Also more frequent newsletters or news updates on the website from us as an organization so that the website becomes more active, more alive, you know, rather than that once every two months there is a more or less boring article. Picking up on what you said about cultural differences, are there examples that you can give to us of the ways that one program might work here but not there or some challenges around such a large organization representing and interacting with so many different cultures and communities? I think it's maybe the biggest differences are in the structures of the uh, NBOs, the National Bridge Organizations, not only the sizes. I mean, you have some NBOs which don't even have a board. They don't have a structure at all. They have maybe one uh, man or woman who loves bridge, who basically makes a national team with him or herself and a few friends. And uh, that's their uh, bridge organization up to the big organizations, like whether it's ACBL or the French or the Dutch or similar federations, which have, you know, 20, 30, 40 employees and, and, and a very clear structure. So... I think in general, it's probably more support that we, we can give to the smaller ones to help them with their structure. And, uh, and again, they're depending on to what, at what level it is personal, or at least they have some kind of structure in the country. It's going to be different. And I'm not even starting to talk about languages, etc. That's another obvious thing, but. Um, Thinking about YouthBridge and educational programs for kids in Bridge, I think there's a lot of interest in developing programs that can be portable and brought into different geographies, different locations. Do you think that is something that could translate from a region that has a very organized, big structure to one that is... um I don't know, has much fewer resources. Do you think that there is a way to sort of develop programs that can be more universally adopted? I think what we are doing, for example, at the seminars, which uh, we have been having a lot in Europe, at least, we typically have a big active participation from the federations themselves. Those who have prepared or have some successful programs they have worked with, they present them during the seminar and then any material 
uh, again is is available for for everybody so that that it's it comes to the sharing of best practices which i'm all in favor of because again as i said take the french federation uh, they have many more working people than the world bridge federation the world bridge federation has two full-time employees a couple of part-timers and then we have staff that uh, works for us specifically during the events of the french federation i think they have 30 employees you know that can work on different projects so it seems like a good idea to me cost effective also to use the existing facilities and programs which have worked in some places and help them being spread out to uh, all federations. Is there a hot button issue in Bridge that's particularly important to you? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for asking. I can't stand bullying and in general, bad behavior at the table is something that I absolutely loathe. And uh, we have made a conscious effort to be very active and have a zero tolerance policy in this. Actually, in uh, Wroclaw, in the last championships, we excluded three players from the event for bad behavior at the table. And we publicized it very clearly in the bulletin without names, but we wanted everybody to see that we are not actually talking the talk, but we're walking the walk as well. And particularly bullying by stronger players towards weaker players. We have some which do it a lot and uh, on purpose. And uh, that is absolutely intolerable to me. It's not a way to welcome people to the game. Absolutely. Uh, in general, we have to put higher demands on the top players. I mean, they, whether they want it or not, they are role models and uh, lesser players will uh, try to emulate uh, their behavior. Without naming names, what sorts of behaviors might get someone thrown out of, say, a recent tournament? For example, what uh, one thing what happened was uh, a man making uh, sexual innuendo, not meaning anything badly, but, uh, you know, still towards a younger female player at the table and uh, made her feel very uncomfortable. We've all been there. This was reported and uh, we took a very quick decision in the championships committee and unfortunately that player was not allowed to continue playing. Another example, which is a little bit uh, more of a, of a top player, this was a couple of years ago, but bullying in an important event, a weaker pair uh, with uh, constant inappropriate questions about uh, bids and explanations but in a totally improper way, rattling them completely. For the rest of the boards in the match, they couldn't place a card correctly. It's well noted in our records. And uh, yeah. I imagine your concern about bullying is multifaceted. It's about protecting players from an unpleasant environment. In a funny way, it's a form of cheating if people are trying to do it to put other people off their game. What other elements are there about it that concern you? I think those those are uh, the two most important, which you just mentioned. And also the general, uh, you know, when we present our game, not that it's that much audience uh, live at, at the events, but uh, gives a very bad impression also towards the outside world if they would see this type of behavior. 
My guess is it's improved a little bit over the last few years. Would you agree with that? Uh, well, it has maybe improved because there has been very little live bridge going on until uh, relatively recently. <laughs> but uh, apart from that, I don't know. I mean, the online environment, I really don't know from personal experience because I basically don't play online. A lot of people love it. Some people have to do it for their livelihood. Uh, but uh, if I play, I want to sit at the table and have cards in my hand. I don't know how you guys are playing uh, online all the time. At least that's the impression I get from from uh, your podcast. So you probably know better than I how the atmosphere is online. Well, Catherine's in Australia. Yeah. And I'm in San Francisco. So if we want to play together, we don't have much choice. But I, too, prefer face-to-face other than that I don't get to play with my favorite partner. (laughs) (laughs) And we're addicts, so what can we say? (laughs) Exactly. You got to get your fix. The atmosphere, you know, it's um, because there's an anonymity factor has led to people being really, really abusive because they can hide behind their anonymity. So that's a real problem with online. That's a big problem with some platforms, whereas other platforms, for example, the only time that the European Federation arranged an, an official event online, it was done on a platform, RealBridge, where players had to use their real names and, you know, everything was as if it would have been live. And uh, I definitely think that uh, platforms where where you can be totally anonymous and have multiple accounts that is not ideal from from a top bridge competition perspective although i fully understand from the point of view of for other reasons uh, you know it might make total sense for a platform to offer that possibility so i have no problem with that i'm just saying that uh, in a top competition where where an international federation would be in charge I think it's very important that all players have their real names and are registered in our database. What do you love most about Bridge? Well, basically uh, two things. First of all, it's it's a mental challenge, which uh, I think is fantastic. It keeps your mind uh, really, really alert. And, and uh, maybe even most important is the fact that it's the only sport in the world that I know of where I can play in a championship against the world champion or multiple ones in the same event. I mean, if I was a tennis player, would I ever get to play against Roger Federer? No. I play a bit of golf. Will I ever be paired with uh, against Rory McIlroy in our main event? No. In bridge, I play against world champions uh, all the time and everybody can do that. And I think that's an underestimated part of our game, which we maybe should should make more capital from and, and uh, use more in our in our marketing, if you wish. Is there a book that you feel most helped your game, or is there a book that you most often recommend? I don't know to what extent it has helped my game, but definitely the most enjoyable and also educational at the same time book that I've read is uh, Alan Sontag's uh, The Bridge Bum because it is fantastic stories, uh, real life uh, 
things that are happening with him being in different places. Hands themselves have sometimes been very instructive, but it also, the whole stories around them, which are really very enjoyable. So it, it's a nice book to read, maybe almost even if you don't play bridge, you know. So that one I can highly recommend. What is your best bridge memory? It's between winning the uh, Cavendish teams in 2013 and winning the Swedish team championships in 2010. It's a tough choice between the two. I mean, the Swedish team championships was, I set out on a project. My father won the Swedish team championships three years in a row, 1958, 59, and 60. So I was setting out to try to do this as well. In this case, 2010, 11, and 12. 2010, we managed to win. 11 and 12, we were runners-up. Oh, wow. So I didn't quite make it, but it was close. In what ways has Bridge made you a better or a worse person? I think it has helped to teach me patience. It's easy to get excited about things and to rush things. But in Bridge, somehow, you need to be patient. I hope I am patient. I don't know if... uh, Others can judge it better if I'm more or less patient than I was before. In terms of patience, is it impatience about developing your game or impatience sitting and playing a particular hand that you felt you have learned through bridge and applied to life? I think it's actually, since I've been so much in administration, it's maybe also patience with people. You know, I've tended to be fairly critical in general, but, you know, the more people I have to work with, especially in the bridge community, the more I realize that I have to be more patient. So I have learned it as much from bridge administration as from the game itself, I would say. Do you have a favorite convention or gadget that you really like to play? Absolutely. I don't understand how I could ever play a natural system without what is internationally called Gazili and what in Sweden is called Hexan, the witch. I believe it was played in Sweden as Hexan before it became Gazili in the rest of the world. But as usual, it's the marketing, you know, Stayman didn't invent Stayman. Jacobi didn't invent Jacobi transfers. My father and his partner Fritz played them two years before. But, you know, it's all, it's all marketing. It's like with Calbertson, et cetera. But uh, basically, if without Gasili, I really can't understand how, how you can play a natural system rather than a, than a strong club. We love to hear that because it's our favorite too. And we call it the witch. Catherine taught it to me and we love it. And I've been teaching people here in San Francisco, so I love it. What about conventions that you might be less of a fan of? One would be Gerber. I mean, when partner opens two no trumps, we don't have much space left. And how many hands do you have where the responder can just decide everything by asking for, for aces immediately? So I think you can have much better use for, for many more bids on, on such an opening. And then there's another funny one, but I don't know to what extent it's played these days, but in France... I believe it is called Albaron. It's a, a two club opening, I believe, which is game forcing and where the responses are 
you respond to your aces. You show which ace you have. So if the responder has the ace of diamonds, since two diamonds says no aces, he has to jump to three diamonds to say, partner, I have the ace of diamonds. Oh, great, says Opener. My longest suit is clubs, so I bid four clubs. And now, good luck uh, to them to find out where they're going to play. So that's, that to me was one of the, let's say, I'm going to try to be nice, least cost-efficient conventions that I know. What's the best bridge advice or tip that you've ever been given? Well, I'm sure you've heard this many times before, but I still believe that uh, it is the most important, which is to count and to count and to count. High card points, distribution, all the time, every card which is played, you continue to count. Particularly in on defense, you can only see dummy's hand and you can see your own hand. So you have to try to figure out declarers and partner's hand. And in order to do that, you need to, or maybe you start, you have to listen to the bidding, the remember the bidding, who has bid what, who has not bid anything, maybe. I mean, if, uh, if they open one club and your partner passes, he probably doesn't have a, a good five card uh, major, etc., etc. You have to try to count out everything based on all the information that you can gather from the bidding and the play as it all develops. I'm not uh, always successful and it's part of my focus and concentration uh, problem, but definitely something that I'm, I'm trying to concentrate on, to focus on. Jan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's been very nice talking to you and uh, good luck with the continuation of the podcast. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Jan Kamras. Thank you also to our sorry partner posse of listener supporters who make the show possible. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso and Jade Gray. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at Sorry Partner Podcast on Instagram, or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. You'll get a monthly newsletter, bonus audio from time to time, and other supporter benefits. These links and a link to our discount offers and merch store are under the episode description in your app, on the website at sorrypartner.com, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice. Or we'll call the director. Until next time, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Jan says, count and count and count. <laughs> thank you, partner. That was three counts. Okay, got it. Uh, thank you, partner. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.